Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on UPMC Pinnacle's achievements in patient safety can be found at upmcpinnacle.com quality. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. As we are about to enter mid-October, Pennsylvania's 2017-18 fiscal year state budget is almost three and a half months late. A 32-point—excuse me, a $32 billion spending plan was approved by both the House and Senate and allowed to become law by Governor Wolf in July. Negotiations to come up with the revenues seemed to be going well at that time. But now, 100 days past the deadline, there's an impasse, or at least a stalemate, on how to close a $2.2 billion budget shortfall. WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief Katie Myers here with the latest on the budget. Katie, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right. As we speak right now, what is the status of the budget? Uh, On hold, I think, is the best way to put it. Um, You know, last week, negotiations broke down by Wednesday, and uh, they, you know, lawmakers went back to their districts. The House isn't expected back in until the 16th, the Senate's um, at the call of, of the pro tem, which means they could come back in, you know, whenever they decide they need to. But really, I mean, it's kind of the House's, uh, you know, move to make at this point. Uh, they're the ones who, you know, need to pass a bill back to the Senate to see if they'll approve it. They're the ones who have sort of held out on tax increases. And they're the ones trying to figure out, you know, some sort of compromise solution to you know, fill in that last, you know, in some cases, it's just as small as like $100 million, which is not very much in the scheme of the budget. And uh, they're just trying to figure out how to close that last gap, and they haven't been able to do it. And they came, you know, close-ish last week. And as you said, it just kind of everything broke down. You know, today is a holiday for the for the state and for <laughs> many of our listeners as well. So nothing will be going on today. No. But while the House is out of session and the Senate right now is out of session, any negotiations going on behind the scenes that you're aware of? You know, you hear things here and there. Obviously, um, the leaders have said, you know, we're going to you know, keep talks going. We're going to keep the ball in the air. Um, I really do think they needed a break after, you know, last week's, you know, sort of blow up. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, I, you get the sense that, yes, nothing's, like, stopped fully, but um, I think it's, you know, slowed down a little bit. I don't know if right this second any negotiations are happening. Mm. By the way, if you'd like to weigh in on the state budget situation, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. Maybe you can weigh in on uh, uh, whether you would be willing to pay higher taxes on <laughs> hotel bills, uh, utilities. Yeah. Uh, just how do we go about uh, closing? I say we. It's not uh, Katie and I just making these decisions, but uh, how the legislature goes about uh, uh, coming up with the money for uh, this budget. Now, there were a flurry of proposals in the last two weeks in the House uh, using monies from reserve accounts, as they referred to them. Um, There were people that that money was meant for who said, wait, wait, that that money is already spoken for. It's in savings, but it is going to go for uh, other projects. A higher tax on hotel stays. Uh, But none of this made it to the floor. Do any of these proposals over the last couple of weeks have any legs? I think some of them do. Um, You know, what the, you know, the last component that they were really trying to come to was like some kind of a tax component because the governor has said, you know, he needs new revenue. Um, And, you know, they can't, they already passed the spending plan. So cuts are sort of, they'd have to go back into that and change it retroactively. And that's kind of hard to do. So really, I mean, the name of the game was some sort of new revenue. Now, there are proposals that have carried over from previous negotiations that we're pretty sure are going to be in the final budget. They agree on a gaming expansion of some kind. Um, they agree on some like minor changes to liquor laws. They're going to, you know, you know, the two counter thing that Pennsylvania supermarkets have now, you'd be able to buy your wine and beer at the same register where you purchase your other groceries. So that's, you know, not a huge revenue What's booster. Have, say, it doesn't really make, make a lot of money, no, right. but it's just a minor change that people wanted. Okay. Um, and so, you know, there's different things. Um, 
the fund transfers that you mentioned that definitely were controversial, especially the level at which, um, you know, the House Republicans had decided they wanted to try to get fund transfers. Some of them may still be in the picture. It's likely that they would be, especially if the House is going to pass some kind of a tax increase. They're going to want that. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, the last component was some, this like, you know, as you keep hearing, recurring revenue. And that was going to be originally they were going to tax warehouses. They were going to tax the warehouse industry. This is a proposal that came originally from Governor Wolf. I think it was in his uh, first budget address. And, uh, you know, Republicans tried to kind of walk away from like, oh, it wasn't our idea, but they did bring it up. Um, and so that didn't really go anywhere. A lot of Republicans opposed it. A lot of Democrats. It's just like a district by district thing where like warehouse taxes would hit yeah. hardest. Here in uh, central Pennsylvania, obviously along I-81, we oh, had a yeah. lot of warehouses. Oh, yeah. So that was going to be bigger, again, along those corridors. Um, then we had, as you mentioned, that hotel tax. And that um, was something that kind of blossomed at late, late Tuesday, um, throughout the day Tuesday last week. And um, it looked like it was going to, like, they passed it through a committee that evening. Um, the Democrats seemed to be on board, but then it kind of crumbled the next day because it would have, you know, really hit Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and, you know, whatever other hotels, really. But the cities would be hit the hardest in that. Philly and Pittsburgh would have had the highest hotel rates in the country out of any city. So that was pretty big. So that failed. Um and then, you know, the Democrats tried to push through a severance tax the last minute. That Natural gas severance tax. A natural yes. gas severance tax. Um, and that's a priority of theirs. It didn't go anywhere. They tried to discharge it onto the floor. And so that process vote failed. Uh, as they were doing that, Governor Wolf called a press conference at that point and said, you know, enough is enough. I'm drawing, as he said, a line in the sand. And he said he's going to, you know, borrow against our liquor industry to pay off last year's shortfall over a billion dollars. And... Um, then he would manage the state's finances to figure out how to keep the rest of the money flowing until we have more revenue. So that was really, that was the blow up. And a lot of people were very upset. House Republicans specifically were very upset that Governor Wolf did this. He hadn't really telegraphed it to Republicans in advance. Um, I think Democrats knew that he was planning on doing this. Uh, you know, it just like it kind of everything kind of crumbled. Mm-hmm. But, you know, negotiations could go on. I should say that. So the governor hasn't like fixed the budget. You know, he you know, is if this happens, which it might not even happen, because um, a lot of people are saying it's not legal for him to securitize the liquor industry. Um, but uh, if it happens, then the budget's still not done. We still are going to have a shortfall. So just in, to clarify, yeah. what the governor is proposing would be to uh, borrow against the future profits that the, the, exactly. that, that liquor brings into the state. Yeah. Um, when the governor says he's going to fix the budget, does that mean line item veto? Because unlike the federal government, governors have the power to look at a budget and say, whoop, we're, we're taking that out, we're taking this out, and to, to balance it. I mean, is that what he's talking about with fixes? It doesn't seem to be yet. Uh, it's very possible that that could come into play at some point. But right now, he said he's going to you know, securitize the PLCB, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board, and then he's going to manage finances through, uh, you know, complement management. So and he said he's not going to fire any state employees, but through attrition, I think maybe incentives. That was really not clear what he meant by that. And then other like management of state funds. So that could just be pulling money out of one place and putting it into another place where bills get paid. I mean, it's 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 just not clear what he plans to do. And there is, I mean, even if that like $1.2 billion comes in and fills in the shortfall from last year, we still have a gap. Um, it's, you know, 700, 800 billion dollars that the um, IFO has said, the Independent Fiscal Office has said, it's going to come back next year. That shortfall is going to recur if we don't get new revenue. So, I mean, it's possible. Like, negotiations could keep going and, uh, you know, the gaming uh, expansions could be passed. That would be some new revenue. Uh, some other things could be passed. But as it stands right now, the, I just want to make it clear, the budget's still not balanced. Mm-hmm. Let's take some phone calls. Robert is in Harrisburg. Robert, you're on the air. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Hi. I just had a question. Um, I worked in the Harrisburg School District for about 14 years um, and just saw really the bad condition of the schools on the inside and um, started my own private school here in Harrisburg about seven years ago. And um, I uh, rely heavily on the one state program called the Education Incentive Tax Credit that um, especially the one portion of it called the OSTC is specifically for 
children in the you know the bottom 15 percent of failing school districts across the state and um about two years ago when we had the budget impasse if you remember that lasted like seven or eight months um they passed legislation at that time to avoid um the eitc funding release being held up by the budget and um and so my question is is um i thought that well what's happened is is with the budget impasse again it's held up again the eitc funding release which really negatively affects us helping some of the inner city children that can't afford you know a better education and and so I'm, I'm just wondering, I thought the legislation was passed to avoid this, but yet here it's happening again. Yeah. And Robert, thank you very much for your call. And EITC uh, impacts more than just what he was describing. I mean, there's a lot of educational institutions that are wondering about the same thing. Right. It's two different tax credits, too. It's the EITC and uh, OITC, I believe. But anyway, it's, they're all the kind of go to the same thing. And you're right. Those haven't been given out to schools yet about... Uh, Almost 80 House Republicans signed onto a petition recently to get Governor Wolf to release those tax credits. They go to businesses, which in turn provide scholarships for, as you said, educational institutions and scholarships to private schools, things like that. And so, yeah, those, again, have not been released. Um, I did get a word from the governor's office. They had originally said that because of the impasse, they weren't going to release them. Obviously, that does go against the law that they passed two years ago. So um, uh, J.J. Abbott, the governor's spokesman, said, and I quote, the administration hopes to begin sending letters this is to businesses next week, even though House Republicans have failed to send a tax code to the governor's desk to date. So he's saying, you know, this is Republicans' fault, but we're still doing it. So, And this was sent to me on Friday. So he has said it's happening this week. Um, you know, we'll see if that does happen. I'll be following that story. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of people were pretty upset about that. And I think the governor was, you know, I can't speak to what he was thinking, but it is sort of a, you know, a, a point of contention, a point of leverage that he could have, say, okay, I'm not going to release these things until the budget's done, which appeared to be what he was doing before, but now those are going to be released. Those tax credits are just one of many things that a lot of people across the state are wondering about and kind of on the edges of their seats wondering, uh, okay, are we going to be hurt like we were two years ago when the budget impasse went for nine months? So that brings up the question. Uh, You know, we have passed at least one deadline kind of an artificial deadline of when the the state would be hurting for cash. But when do we reach a point where schools are not getting payments, human service organizations are not getting the money that uh, is budgeted for them? Well, that's something we have to be following closely and sort of be uh, reading between the lines on because it's been tough to get, you know, like real information on when bills are going to be paid. We know that at the end of this month, major school payments are due. Now, um, you know, we still haven't heard from the treasurer about whether or not he's willing to authorize a loan. He hasn't so far because the budget is not balanced. But maybe, you know, with the governor's liquor securitization thing, he'll be willing to. Again, no word on that yet. Um, You know, the liquor securitization thing isn't happening. It can't happen for at least two months, and it'll probably go longer if there's lawsuits involved, which lots of people have indicated there will be. Um, So, again, we're going to get to this month, and we're going to have to make major school payments, and I'm not sure where that money's going to come from. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the administration has some sort of a plan for it. But, yeah, you're right. These big payments, and the school one, I think, is the biggest one looming on the horizon. But, yeah. I mean, these payments are going to keep coming due, and our general fund does not have a lot of, you know, liquidity. It doesn't have a lot of money in it right now. So, uh, I mean, yeah, that's a real concern. You know, I think it's going to be a little bit touch and go, at least for a while. Let's take a phone call from Larry in Lancaster. Larry, you're on the air. Morning. Morning. Uh, My comment is that Pennsylvania has a vast pool of untaxed resources, specifically senior citizens like me are not taxed on Social Security and pensions and things like that. And yet Pennsylvania is one of the oldest states in the nation. That means that a large portion of our population is getting a free ride at the expense of the younger people who are paying fortunes for college, going into debt, and unable to buy houses. It's time for the old people like me to step up. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Now, some of what Larry was referring to would be federal taxes, but state-wise, I mean, 
Yeah, retirement uh, income is not taxed right, in Pennsylvania. Right, right, Re- Retirement income is not taxed. And you know that politically, though, I hate to bring this up, but politically the reality is is that, Larry, people in your age group vote. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> vote in higher numbers than what a lot of other age groups do. And um, those elected officials who make these kind of decisions are a little bit hesitant to uh, do anything with uh, a large voting block like that. Now, yeah, that's true. That just may be one explanation. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, this is something that has been talked about before, is that uh, if someone, even if though they are over, they've retired, if they have uh, a larger income, of course, who decides what that income is, that uh, that should be taxed. Let's go to EJ in Hummelstown. EJ, you're on the air. Hey, thank you. Yes. Um, Here's what I, how much are they over budget? What percentage? Well, it's tough to say. I mean, if you're talking about... um, you know, last year we had a shortfall of around $1.3 billion. So that's money that, you know, you could say we're over budget because we haven't paid that off yet. Um, you know, that's kind of it's bled over into this year. And now that's our shortfall for this year. So the gap that we are talking about overall with last year and this year is $2.2 billion. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, consensus is we're going to borrow to fill in the last year part. And so we just have to figure out how we're going to do that and when. But yeah, and then there's like seven or eight hundred million dollars we have to fill in. So I think that's the two numbers you want to look at when you're trying to figure out exactly how much more money we need or how many more cuts we need to make in order to actually be in balance. Okay. Say they're 10% over, just for numbers sake. It doesn't have to be that, but everybody across the board takes a 10% cut, no matter what, what you are, what department you are, housing, uh, highways, anything. Uh-huh. Um, and, well, then, go ahead. and then also... On the, the, the departments that are affording the money on the rainy day funds, make it so that they can only keep maybe like 3% for a rainy day fund. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, that's been talked about. That's one of the things that's um, you know being talked about a lot around House Republicans right now because yeah, they see these uh, funds that have, as they see it, untapped revenue and uh, that don't uh, – that that's not being used, that they don't need. The problem with that is that it's it's difficult, especially if you go about it without working with the departments to figure out, um, you know, what's being, uh, you know, put aside for projects in the future. You know, different departments do very, very different things. So PennDOT, for instance, has to have a pretty big surplus because they're planning for lots of incredibly expensive projects down the road. Now, your previous point about just a 10% cut across the board, that's actually, that has been tried before, um, not specifically against, I don't think, state agencies as you're talking about, but, uh, you know, you know, Governor Corbett was one example of a person who tried to make pretty much broad across the board cuts, and that ends up not well, in his case, it didn't work super well just because, like, when you make a blanket cut like that without actually looking at the nuances of what you're cutting, you end up having some, you know, consequences that you didn't really foresee. So, I mean, I think an across-the-board, like, 5% cut sounds like a pretty reasonable thing until you actually go and try to make that cut. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of agencies could give up more cash than others. Um, but again, you know, we're in a situation right now where we did pass a spending plan. You know, we passed the amount of money that we want to spend and everyone voted for that. And now they just don't want to fund it. So, I mean, that's kind of the that's the real issue we're talking about at the moment. EJ, thanks for your call. All right. Let's go back to that for just a moment, because, you know, I don't know, but when you talk to, to friends, you talk to people who don't do what we do, covering sure. this on a, on a daily basis. And you explain to them that, um, you know, back in July, this $32 billion, and it's a little less than $32 billion, yeah. uh, $32 billion spending plan was approved by everyone. Sure. Now, Governor Wolf did not sign it, but he allowed it to become law. And at that time, it seemed as though, well, we we, we have some cooperation it's here. It's very kumbaya. It, it really was. It It seemed to be going smoothly. So... The question now arises, and I've heard so many people say it in the last couple of weeks, or asked the question in the last couple of weeks, is how do you agree to a spending plan without the revenue to pay for it? That's a good question, Scott. And I will say, when I talk to my friends about this, they say, shut up. We're sick of hearing about the state budget. But um, <laughs> They tell you to shut up. Well, huh? no, they're nicer about it than that. They humor me. But th- that being said, we've been talking about this for such a long time. Um, so... Um, 
Yes. I mean, the problem is that uh, they did vote for the spending plan. It was seen as sort of a compromise spending plan. Um, and really, the holdouts on this, and I'm not trying to, like, demonize them or anything, because I don't think that's appropriate, but the House Republicans have not been able to rally the votes for a tax increase. That is, you know, hey, that's fine. They're a conservative body, but they did vote for this funding. Now, they say, we support a plan that funds this without taxes. We want a, you know, liquor industry expansion. We want the gaming expansion. We want those fund transfers that they put in. Um, So things like that. And they say, look, that's a balanced budget. The governor doesn't agree. Um, The Senate passed a budget, obviously, that did include tax increases. And so now they're hanging out there with tax increase votes that they don't want to, like, go to waste because that looks terrible if there's no tax increase and they voted for one. But anyway, so that's a digression. But um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it's a question of how to pay for it. They agreed that they were going to spend this much and they didn't end up wanting to. Now, you also get a lot of people, a lot of House Republicans, and a lot of them are in this conservative block that's pretty powerful um, and they can influence, you know, more moderate Republicans that did vote for this. Um, You know, it's just it becomes like who's influencing who and these conservatives say, I didn't vote for this spending plan. I didn't want it. Of course, they're a part of the caucus, a part of the chamber that did vote for it. So that kind of doesn't matter. But like you just get people who don't agree that we should be spending this much and they're going to try to put their foot down. Yeah, because let's face it. I mean, no one, if you ask anyone out there, do you want to pay more in taxes? No one likes tax increases. No, no one likes tax increases. And this comes back to what you were talking about a little bit earlier, that structural deficit. And over the last, oh, probably, I don't know, eight years or so, maybe even longer than that, uh, whenever a budget has passed this state, uh, someone, more than someone, a lot of people come out and say, okay, you did it with smoke and mirrors, that uh, it's a it's a one-time fix. Yeah. You can't keep doing this, that you have to deal with that uh, structural budget deficit that is reoccurring year after year after year. And Governor Wolf. Senate Republicans finally came to that uh, conclusion as well, and that's why they agreed to this budget. Do House Republicans see this as a long-term fix or solution, I guess is the word? Do they see what as a long-term fix? Any of the things that they've proposed. Um, Or or is it just a one-time deal? You know, eh, (laughs) I think the thought is we're going to stave off tax increases as long as we can until we can cut more. That's what they want to do. They want to you know, shrink the size of government. That's the philosophy there. So in you know, in the mind of a conservative Republican, if you can stave off tax increases, because once a tax is in place, it's kind of hard to get rid of. Um, you know, you stave off these increases, and when you can, you shrink the size of government. They can't do that under Governor Wolf. He won't sign it. So, um, yeah, it really, it's, it's about resisting. You know, that's what their MO is right now. Katie Meyer, WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief. Katie, thank you very much for the update. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the team of cardiologists, surgeons, nurses, physicians assistants, and rehabilitation specialists from Pinnacle Health Cardiovascular Institute, part of UPMC Pinnacle, delivering a broad range of traditional and highly specialized procedures. Back in February, researchers at Facebook were forced to shut down two robots operating with a shared artificial intelligence program. The robots had decided, and decided is in quotes, that the English they were programmed with was inefficient and they developed their own language. Or did they? Well, the robots weren't ejecting astronauts into space a la HAL 2000 or initiating global apocalypse like Skynet. It did raise some concerns about the viability of relying on AI and its practical applications in the future. Joining us to talk about what happened and uh, artificial intelligence and robots, Franklin and Marshall College computer science professor Eric Talvity. Dr. Talvity, welcome to the program. Thanks, Scott. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-753. 
1-800-242-1432 or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page of all places. And on Twitter, we are at smarttalkwitf. Okay, so what happened in February that has concerned some people that these robots were able to communicate with on their own, striking up image of a science fiction movie? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of the reporting about this was uh, fairly. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, 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 well, anyway, it got people nervous. Um, but I, I would even take some issue with some of the words you used. So you said that they were forced to shut it down. I don't think that was what happened. Um, so basically, Facebook was studying uh, chatbots. So those are programs that interact with humans via text, right? So, you know, you might either a text message or on a some kind of messaging program this this uh, program would interact with with people and chat with them and so facebook was particularly for whatever reason they were studying the ability to create a chatbot that would negotiate with a person so they made up this little game where there were like sports equipment with balls and bats and things like that and the, it was sort of a game where the two participants would have to sort of negotiate with one another to make trades like I'll give you five of my baseballs for one of your bats and that kind of thing and try to reach a situation where they had made good trades and they liked what they ended up with and so they were training uh, a machine learning program to uh, to do this right so it was basically um, interacting with humans it was saying what it wanted and what it wanted them to give it and they were just trying to see whether they could make a thing that would plausibly negotiate with humans. And then they also tried it out against itself. So they had to play it, the game against itself. And again, it's a machine learning program, so it's adapting its strategy uh, to see what's effective. And yes, what happened was that the the program eventually, when it was playing against itself, learned to use words in ways that were not English. And so the headlines, <laughs> the headlines became AI invents its own language, Facebook shuts it down. When in fact, what happened was uh, a machine learning program did something unexpected and then Facebook moved on with their lives. I mean, <laughs> but, 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 but the language you just used, too, and I'm not yeah. taking issue with this, but I, sure. that's why it's hard to describe this is you said negotiating with itself. Sure. And. Oh, so I guess one way to say that would be that there were two versions of the program playing the game, uh, playing the game, right? So you can imagine, I think it's easier if you think about chess, right? So I think we're all... I think that's what a lot of people thought of, right? We're all pretty comfortable with chess playing programs. And so it's easy to imagine a chess playing program playing against itself, right? Mm -hmm. Two copies, effectively, of the same program, one playing the black side, one playing the white side. Um, And at this is what we're, that's what we're talking about. So it's it's sort of a game, except in order to play the game, you don't move pieces on the board. You choose words to put out into your message. Um, and so the when playing against humans, of course, it's effective to use words in ways that humans understand uh, and to interpret words that humans are saying in ways that humans mean them. But when the program is playing against another program, there's no reason for it to stay that way. So if a program uh, starts to use words in a way that would be strange to us, but is still interpretable, then the other program will say, oh, okay, I understand what you mean. So, you know, they were seeing things like it would repeat a word multiple times in order to indicate a number. So it'd say like, I have, have, have balls, and it means I have three balls or something like that. Um, as long as the two programs playing the game are both able to interpret that message as meaning what it means, then they don't have any particular preference for it to sound like something a human would want to hear. So aside from uh, everyone getting up in arms, uh, I say everyone, a lot of people <laughs> getting up in arms, you don't seem overly concerned about it. Oh, no. So, uh, you know, honestly, this event <laughs> shows what a big part of what is missing, um, or one of the reasons not to be concerned, I think, one of the limitations, is that those chatbots don't know what words mean. 
they just don't have the same context that you and I do. Um, they don't assign any sort of deep meaning to the words. To those chatbots, those the words are the same as moving a piece on a chessboard. It it has only the meaning in that it causes things to happen in the game or doesn't cause things to happen in the game. And so to the extent that they could use words differently to communicate with one another and still affect the goal that they had, that's all they really have to work with. Those those artificial agents do not have language and so they in the sense that you and I have language. And so they can't invent a new language because they don't have language. It's called artificial intelligence, but there really is no intelligence like we think of, and that's kind of what you just described, right? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. The The field of artificial intelligence is not easy to define, and I, there's a common joke that it's things are artificial intelligence until we manage to do them, and then they're not artificial intelligence anymore. So I, I actually think about the first mechanical calculator uh, or one of the first mechanical calculators invented by Blaise Pascal, a mathematician. And when he he described it, I, I'm going to get the quote wrong, so I'll just paraphrase. But he said something like, the mechanical calculator uh, has the closest, uh, you know, is the closest to thought, the machine that is the closest to thinking that we've ever had before, right? And so now we don't think of a thing that does addition and subtraction and division and multiplication as thinking. But at the time... There had never been a machine that could do arithmetic in that way. And so, of course, it seemed like thinking. And then for a long time, nobody thought that a machine would ever play a good game of chess. And we thought that chess would require thought in the same way that you and I think. And now, of course, you could beat a human with a smartphone. Um, but uh, we don't think of chess playing programs as thinking in the same way that you and I think. The word you used, arithmetic, it just brought back memories. It's been so long since I've heard that word. <laughs> it's kind of a vintage, like vintage language, if you will, or arithmetic. But, you know, again, I think that there are so many people that when they saw the headlines or heard Elon Musk, okay? Elon Musk, who's the head of SpaceX and Tesla, uh, was one of the, he came out the strongest of, of public figures. And this is, when you see the, this man's background and his scientific background, it, it held a lot of weight. But he came out sounding alarms, and that's what the headline said. Elon Musk sounds alarms because AI, artificial intelligence, that uh, we have to keep an eye. We, meaning the humans, humans have to keep an eye on it because... This could be, and I don't know if he's referring to the Facebook situation at all, but uh, that, you know, robots will have, or artificial intelligence will have the ability to do some things that they weren't programmed for. Sure. Elon Musk and also Stephen Hawking was was recently making some strong remarks uh, about the future of AI. So first of all, I would say that those concerns, <laughs> those are separate from the, the Facebook story. So I think the Facebook story as it was reported by the popular media, was designed to play upon mm. your anxieties so that you would click the headline and see the ads. <laughs> clickbait. Yeah, I, I think it was essentially a really effective uh, clickbait. Um, but but those, uh, the, you know, and, and Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking are not the only people who are worried about the future of artificial intelligence. Um, those concerns are not unwarranted. They're worth having. Um, certainly, you know, there are, uh, those who would, who fear, or uh, let's not say fear. There are those who think that super intelligent programs are on the horizon. And I think they're right to say that if that were to happen, if we were to invent an, a program that were more intelligent than us, and by that I mean effectively better than us at everything that we do, then the future beyond that point is really hard to predict. Yes. We effectively would have no idea what would happen after that. 
We're joined by uh, Franklin Marshall College computer science professor Eric Talvity during this portion of the program talking about artificial intelligence, robots, and uh, just how far we can go with it. When I say how far, maybe how far they can go. If you have a question or a comment, I know this sounds like a science fiction movie. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You know, Dr. Talvin, I want to get back to something you had said, or you've used the word several times, and it's an accurate way to describe what happened in the Facebook situation, is they were playing. They were playing a game, negotiating trades, whatever they were, they were, they were trading. Probably what concerns people is that it becomes a practical uh, application that it is used, AI is used in more than just trading baseball cards or uh, autographs or anything like that, that maybe it is used, say, with the uh, stock market or, you know, something where people's individual lives could be impacted. I mean, I'm sure that's already happening in some areas, but you understand why some people would be concerned about it. Absolutely. And uh, so when... When there are big stories about, um, so <laughs> there's a researcher named Andrew Ng who was uh, at Baidu and also at Stanford University. He he said, um, I'm not concerned about not turning AI evil for the same reason I'm not concerned about overpopulation on Mars, right? And he's saying, maybe that's a thing that might happen, but we're nowhere close to a place where we have to think about evil AI. And I, I tend to agree with him. I do think it is worth worrying about, and you don't have to have a super intelligent AI in order to have more automation showing up in more elements of our society, and it is worth thinking about and wondering about to what extent are those programs really achieving the goals that we set for them, uh, and how much control do we cede to these automated processes uh, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, we're seeing certainly um, data-driven machine learning methods used in the criminal justice system more and more, in medicine more and more, um, and certainly in trading, stock market trading. All of these things are happening, and um, sometimes for the good and maybe sometimes for not. And I think that there are uh, real decisions to be made at a social level about you know, and real oversight to be made over whether these systems are helping or hurting, whether they are truly aligned with what we want them to do, um, and uh, whether we are watching them to ensure that they're not exploited or uh, or otherwise sort of misbehaving in ways that we're not aware of because we've sort of ceded some some responsibility. How is AI being used today that uh, would surprise people? How is AI being used that would surprise people? Um, when I say surprise, I maybe that's not the right word, but that people aren't aware of and maybe don't even realize how far we have gotten with uh, artificial intelligence. I don't know. I think actually these, I mean, maybe I'm just biased because I'm in it and so I see the news, but I feel like people are pretty well informed about where this stuff is being used. So certainly AI methods are everywhere in your life. I mean, every time you go on the internet, Someone is showing you an ad. An algorithm chose that ad to show to you based on data that was collected about you. Um, and that algorithm was developed in part by collecting data on lots of people and figuring out, well, people who do this tend to respond to ads that look like this, for instance. Um, every time you take a picture with your phone, it's the phone is processing the image that it's looking at and trying to make smart decisions about photography for you. I have this really great photo that I show to my AI class sometimes, which is my son is on a on a bike and it's kind of in a dark room and he's riding this bike inside and he's riding this bike and he was actually going very slowly, but it looks like he's going a million miles an hour because it was really low light conditions and most human photographers would never be able to get this shot. But because my phone knows what faces look like, when I click the button, it was able to see, oh, there's a face kind of in the middle of this picture. I'm betting that's the thing that this picture is about. And so it made sure that the face was in focus and everything else was blurred out. Something had to be blurred out, right? Because it was low light. Um, so that that's the result of AI methods. I mean, that came because that, that's possible. 
because of a bunch of um, data-driven algorithms that are able to process images and make sense of them and figure out what's inside of them in order to make photography easier, I suppose, for, for regular people. That, I think that's a great, a great example because obviously it's something we do every day and uh, that brings it home now. People have it in their pocket even every day. Uh, but uh, Dr. Talvati, I want to thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Capital Region has been pairing area youths with role models since 1981, helping to develop relationships that are built on trust and friendship that can blossom into a future of unlimited potential. Big Brothers Big Sisters is hosting a truly unique fundraiser, an opportunity to repel from the roof of Market Square Plaza in Harrisburg. Over the Edge takes place on October 13th. Joining us for this portion of the program is Maddie Young. She's the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Capital Region. Ms. Young, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. Also, Paul Perini is a big brother himself. Mr. Perini, welcome to the program. Good morning. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right. Before we talk about the services offered by Big Brothers and Big Sisters and uh, the talk about mentoring overall and why it is such a, such a great thing for young people who may not have mentors, have to talk about Over the Edge. As I mentioned, repelling a, billy, a building. That is not your normal fundraiser. It is not, but we are going over an 18-story building. We have about 60 people signed up. Um, they are the bravest people in the Harrisburg <laughs> area, from my perspective. Um, and so, yeah, so we started this fundraiser because we started a new initiative and have some more mentors coming through our doors. So we needed a fundraiser to fund that. And we thought, let's do something fun and exciting and a little bit adventurous. And so Over the Edge is a company that does nothing but this all over the country. And many Big Brother Big Sister agencies have done it as long as well as Boy Scouts, um, rehab centers. Um, so it's a it's a pretty popular event. Um, we're going to be starting actually Thursday night and we have mascots going over the edge, the Chick-fil-A cow. Um, rascal. Oh, no, wait a minute. All four legs? <laughs> All four legs. All, right, okay. All four legs. Um, the senator's uh, mascot. We believe one of the Hershey bars is going to go over the edge. So we have some celebrities going over Thursday <laughs> evening. And then Friday, we'll be doing it all day, 9 to 5, and uh, 60 people to go over the edge. Um, it's 220 feet down. And then downstairs, Midpen Bank, who's one of our sponsors, is in the lobby. We're going to have a buffet and food and drinks set up down there. So number one, if you chicken out and you can't go down, you can hang in the chicken coop. Um, and number two, once you get down to the bottom and you're uh, – pretty jacked up on adrenaline and you want to talk about the experience, we'll be in there having a party. So it's going to be a fun time. Uh, you don't think uh, anyone is ha is having a problem with repelling 22 stories on Friday the 13th? Well, you know, there's been some con conversation and feedback about that, but Paul's going to go over. <laughs> oh, right, Paul. I am going over, yes. <laughs> I, I assume that uh, you have experience with repelling. Very limited at best. Really? So um, I am confident that uh, the over-the-edge company will take care of me. <laughs> we'll guide I you. I won't be their first casualty. Um, <laughs> it, it should be uh, full of adrenaline, uh, but we'll see. It'll be an interesting event. So how do you actually raise money with uh, the, the people who have volunteered to yeah. repel? So everybody that's going over has raised $1,000 or found a sponsor. So um, some of the sponsors, um, so we do have um, a large number of police officers who we go, who are going over. Some of them have raised money. Some of them have found a sponsor. Um, we have a, several big brothers and big sisters that are going over, and they just started a fundraising page, sent out emails, and they've raised their $1,000. So yeah, so everybody going over the edge is um, come up to that $1,000 support level. And we picked that level because because it costs us a little bit over $1,000 to sponsor a child for the year. So we're hoping that we can get 60 new children um, who are hooked up with a mentor and sponsored for the year. 
Mm. I, I I don't know. I just like I said when I saw the when I first saw heard about this, I thought to myself, "Oh, this is a great idea." So, so Paul, when you say you have very limited experience, <laughs> are you thinking about it a little bit more? I mean, even as we're, uh, are you sleeping at night? Put it that way. Yeah, I don't really have too much difficulty sleeping at all. But what I found is. Um, well, to be clear, I'm also the board chair of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Capital Region, so um, I'm not sure I've really had a choice here, but I like to say I volunteered just to make myself feel a little better. But since the day I volunteered, I probably spent more time in downtown Harrisburg than before, or at least I think I did because I keep seeing that building every time I come into Harrisburg. So hands get a little tighter on the wheel, palms get a little bit sweaty, um, my limited experience has been with some rock climbing um Again, where you come down maybe 50 feet at the most, that sort of thing. So uh, we were up on the roof the other week and saw the view up there, which is beautiful. And then you look down over the side, and it's breathtaking. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll use that word. Yeah. Um, again, it, it's it's going to be really cool. Um, I've done some other things with some wires and that sort of stuff with the harnesses and the repelling that yeah. is really interesting. So I think... Um, Everyone's a little bit nervous, at least the ones I've talked to that are going to do it. But I think the uh, – I've always said I don't want to get to November and be like, oh, man, I should have done that. Yeah. I should have done it. So well, we, have, we have a lot of people that have asked if they could dress up. So uh, we have one person that's going to go over dressed like Spider-Man. We have somebody going over dressed like Deadpool. Um, we've had some police officers that are wearing special um, – uniforms and gear with their information on the back and so yeah so people are like can i wear a cape can i wear a costume you know what everyone's thinking the old batman show yeah batman absolutely. and robin when they were always going on the back rope going <laughs> yeah. up the side of the building a celebrity would yep. stick their head out the window and maybe you should do that paul. yeah so paul getting to more serious matters though uh great idea to raise money for big brothers big sisters of the capital region when did you become a mentor I've been a big brother. Uh, we start losing track a little bit, but I, I keep saying years? fourteen. Yeah. Uh, it's somewhere in the fourteen to fifteen how, how years. So, I work at uh, Belco Community Credit Union, mm-hmm. right down the street here, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a lunch and learn. So we had someone from Big Bo's Big Sisters come in over our lunch period and talk about the program. And at the time, my wife and I both, my future wife at that time, but we both worked at Belco. We both started uh, with the process, went through the application process, and got paired up rather quickly. And uh, I'm uh, active in the Breakfast Buddies program, so I go and meet with my little brother during uh, school hours every Friday morning for about an hour, and uh, I'm with the Lower Dolphin School District right now. But uh, I'm on my fourth little brother, and I always tell everybody that people graduate out of the program, so they didn't take anybody away from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on four because uh, they keep growing they up. They keep growing up, and uh, and I'm staying in the program. So. What do you try to bring to these kids? What do they need? They need another set of ears. I think that's a big thing for me is just, um, you know, you have the parent. Most, or at least the ones that I've had, have at least one parent. So you have the parent parental presence. You have the teacher presence. And this is just, it's not a buddy. Um, it's still somebody that has a little bit of authority, a little bit of knowledge that can help guide them. But there's not the pressure of the teacher or the parent. So a lot of the times uh, when I'm meeting with my little brother, it's playing checkers, playing Jenga, but it's really talking about how the week's going. Um, what do they want to so, talk about? At this, um, right now, it's pretty much all what he's watching on Netflix. Um, <laughs> but again, it's uh, as a mentor, it's important that you, you take those conversations and try to not everything has to be a learning moment, but you want to grasp those where you can. So how, you know, staying up late at night on Netflix Sounds like a great idea, but hey, this is the third day this week you're late. So when I'm sitting there waiting for him and he finally comes in, it's like, well, let's talk about what it means to be on time and why it's important to be here and be awake and that sort of thing. So, um, but doing it in a way that it doesn't sound like he's being lectured. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Maddie, how important is mentoring? So important. You know, I think one of the only evidence based programs 
um, not just big brothers, big sisters, but mentoring as a whole um, is shown to be evidence based. So if you actually want to create an outcome, a long term outcome for a child that changes their perspective on society or their perspective on what they can achieve, the only real way to do that is put somebody in their life that also believes that. We know that if you have a wonderful teacher, they instill that in a child. If you have a wonderful parent, they instill that. If you have a grandparent, they instill that. But if you're a child that doesn't have those supports in your life, that has to come from somewhere. So mentoring is so crucial. And, you know, Paul mentioned playing checkers or Jenga or chess. And that seems like such a kind of a benign activity, right? We all did that. But for the child in school that maybe has behavior issues, ADHD issues, can't sit still, teaching them to sit still and think about where to move on the board and to pay attention and focus on what's happening, that's huge. And we've had teachers that have come back to us and said, the simple act of teaching this child how to play chess this school year has made a huge impact on their behavior. It's something that is so easy and so simple to do, and yet most people don't have the time. The teachers don't have the time. They have 30 other kids they have to pay attention um, pay attention to. A lot of parents don't have the time. A lot of children in our program are being raised by a grandparent or some uh, foster care family. So um, it's super important that there's just somebody in their life that's paying attention, asking questions, but just being there as a listening ear like Paul is. We're almost out of time. I want to thank both of you for being here today and for what you do. Uh, but I'm sure we have uh, those out there who are listening today and say, you know, I'd like to become a big brother or a, a big sister, or I know of a child who could benefit mm-hmm. from having a big brother, sister, big sister. How mm-hmm. do they do that? Just go to capbigs.org or call 236-0199. Do you need more volunteers? Absolutely. We always need volunteers. Um, and it's not that we don't have enough volunteers. It's just that every day we get 10 more kid referrals. And so we constantly are in need of, of people to come through and be, mentor, be when mentors. You, when you say 10 more kid referrals, are you just mm-hmm. throwing a number out there or do you actually get 10 referrals a day? Oh, no. Between school districts, children and youth, pastors, local neighborhood groups, we get referrals every single day. We cover five counties. Mm-hmm. So we're getting referrals from five different counties every day. Well, thank you again for the work that you do, and good luck with uh, Over the Edge this week. I'm I'm hoping everything goes well, Paul. (laughs) Come on downtown. We have a spot if you'd like to go over. Maybe 10 years ago. (laughs) Matty Young is the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Capital Region. Paul Perini is a big brother. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks, Scott. And uh, coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, uh, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We'll be talking about breast cancer. By the way, we have a Smart Talk road trip coming up on Wednesday. Boobies Brewery in Mount Joy. Still have some openings if you'd like to attend. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they're available elsewhere. More information is at upmcpinnacle.com.